1: Hello and welcome back to Loved As You Are, an Ignatian podcast with me, Gretchen Crowder. I'm so glad you're here. The response to my guests so far has been incredible. If you haven't been able to tune into them yet, go back an episode and hear Christiane Squires and I talk about anxiety, mental health, and more. Or go back two episodes and hear Reverend Jenny Smith and I talk about grief and how what we do in times of consolation can help us have tools to access in the most unexpected, and terrible of moments. Each guest has a different story to add to the incredible tapestry of what it means to be loved as you are, no matter what. Like today's guest, Kathy Powell. Kathy Powell is a passionate nonprofit and faith based communications professional who lives in Roswell, Georgia, with her husband Kent and three children. Serving as the creative director for Becky Eldridge and currently co founding Ignatian Ministries, Kathy fills her time sharing the gifts of Ignatian spirituality, cooking without recipes, and walking with families who have lost a child due to miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss. This conversation with Kathy was so beautiful, as we spoke about everything from her love of Mary and the saints, to her own experience of miscarriage, to what she does now to serve others in this particular type of grief. You won't want to miss a minute. So, here we go! Kathy, to Loved As You Are, an Ignatian podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I just introduced you to our listeners and told them a little bit about what you do. But can you tell us a little bit about what you do, specifically with regards to Ignatian spirituality and your work with Becky Eldridge? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Gretchen. So
2: I have worked with Becky Eldridge since 2017. And really started as supporting her. She is a glorious author. If you haven't read her books, go check them out. Theater Chapel and Busy Lives and Restless Souls are both fabulous. So I started out just really supporting Becky's writing and her as an Ignatian Spiritual Director and Retreat Facilitator and Speaker. From that really grew a beautiful co-creation With Becky and I and with God, where we are now is uh, we have officially filed for nonprofit status. We are founding Ignatian Ministries, new ministry that is bigger than ourselves and our own names and really focused on Ignatian accompaniment, on helping people form themselves, their own depth of spirituality using Ignatian tools so that they can go out and lead others and share those Ignatian tools with others and that we can be the ones to help walk them to God, to that contemplative
1: lived in action kind of spirituality. So that's what we're setting out to do. That's such incredible work. What I really appreciate about what you and Becky do, and I know that you are going to empower a lot of people in terms of Ignatian spirituality. But when you started the blog Into the Deep, you really focused on empowering women Ignatian writers, which I think is just so powerful because of course, St. Ignatius started the Society of Jesus and he started, well, actually, he first did the spiritual exercises with both men and women, but when he formed the society, it was, of course, a male order, and many of us have been working alongside the Jesuits hand-in-hand for many years, and so your work with Becky gives a uh, opportunity for women who are steeped in Ignatian spirituality to use their voice and express what Ignatian spirituality and what the story of St. Ignatius means to them. So it's really a wonderful thing that you guys are offering. And I know you're just expanding it all the time, which is which is great.
2: Well, yeah, you know, I think that initially and part of the catalyst for wanting to form a new organization was really how can we raise more voices, especially female voices? How can the rising tide raise all the ships, right? And so in 2020, you're talking about the blog Into the Deep, of which you are a glorious writer with us from the beginning. And so Into the Deep was us really wanting to say, okay, Becky has worked so hard to build this platform, And how can we use this to raise other Ignatian voices, specifically women? And we started out really feeling like it needed to be focused on the fact that it was the voices of women. Now it's just voices. And so, yes, Yes. it's still women, but we've lived into it more to where it's important to us to just be a voice and to reach everyone, right? That Mm -hmm. oftentimes when you specify that it's a voice by a woman, then it gets kind of pigeonholed that it's only for women, which I, I shake my head at, obviously, but what's important to us is calling people deeper. And when you get into those deep waters of faith and into that depth of contemplative prayer life, the female male doesn't matter as much anymore, right? And so I think that's part of something that's really important to us is not only female voices, but also lay voices having just kind of a lived grounded view of Ignatian spirituality Mm -hmm. that's in the real life and not just Jesuit religious life. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that so much. I know on this podcast, I'm trying to have a mix of both male and female voices as well as ordinary people and how they understand their belovedness. It definitely is important that we represent all the voices and that we definitely represent those voices that don't often get a chance to be represented. Our understanding of Ignatian spirituality, our understanding of God is so much better when we hear from everyone. And the call to go out to the peripheries, right? Mm-hmm. To go and see the value
2: of all people, to see God reflected in all people and all things. Like You have to have a mix of voices that has to be represented.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and of course, I asked you to introduce your work with Becky. But I also asked you to be on this podcast for your perspective and how you see God and how you see this idea of being loved as you are. I want to mention to our listeners that when you first listened to my episode, you remarked that our voices are very similar. So as yeah. they listen, let's see if that that's what they pick up on if they if they think they hear that as well. I think that'll be an awesome thing to listen to later. But as we start this conversation with most people, I ask the question, who is God to you? And and how did you come to that understanding? And also, how does that inform your understanding of your own belovedness?
2: I really see God as a consistent companion, as friend. I really think that has informed how I've come to know that I am loved, fully through the promise of God that I am not alone. And so as I've grown in this walk in Ignatian spirituality, where I've become more aware of God in all things, what I've really noticed is how throughout my life, God has been there. Jesus is there. Holy Spirit was there. The community of saints. God has placed people in my life that I am just not alone. I am a person who really appreciates time and effort. (laughs) Right. And so I think it makes sense to me that this love feels tangible and so important and real to me that I can't shake it off. Like I can't fail. I can't, you know, like that ever presence of I am not alone. I am loved forever. I was thinking about it. It's kind of been a, a slow build, but I owe so much to my parents and my upbringing. I was raised a cradle Catholic, but with their own spirituality of reminding me that I wasn't alone, of reminding me that I could always turn to God and specifically also Mary. Both my parents are very devoted to Mary. My mom is Puerto Rican. So when something bad happens, she's screaming Hail Mary <laughs> I was like, That's that is her go-to. And so I think, like, growing up knowing that when things were hard or when they didn't make sense to me, I could turn to Mary. I was not alone has really been the key to me feeling like I am loved. Mm -hmm.
1: Even when it's hard, even when I'm not doing things right, thank goodness, right? Yes. So you were born a cradle Catholic and your parents kind of raised you in the faith. When did you discover Ignatian spirituality? Really as a young adult. So I had
2: been working in a Catholic church and was doing young adult ministry, not working formally yet. I was volunteering, running young adult ministry, and I got asked to run a young adult retreat. And so basically, this woman cornered my husband and I <laughs> in the narthex of the church. I was like, you guys are young adults. Will you come do this young adult retreat for us? And the pitch was, we will fly you both to go on retreat in Chicago for free. And then you'll come back and you'll just lead a retreat here. It's no big deal. And so we were like, okay, that sounds fine. And then we turned around and walked into mass. And we were both like, feels like we just said yes to something bigger than That was really just a small little snowball with that ended up introducing me to Karis Retreat, which is a young Mm -hmm. adult retreat ministry. And through that, that's actually how I met Becky. But I ended up working then at the Jesuit Retreat Center here in Atlanta and really jumping right into Ignatian Retreat Ministry and the value of the exercises and silent retreats. And I went on to then be the marketing director at the retreat center where my whole job was to sell people on this idea (laughs) that you should step away and be quiet. (laughs) And, and I loved it. It was such a natural fit for me that just really helped me to focus. A lot of my creative energy has always left me feeling pretty scattered. <laughs> and I think that the awareness and being okay with where you are and the focus on you know never being alone and being loved really let me continue to go deeper and to say, oh, well, this is where I'm now going to be forever. <laughs> this is clearly my spirituality. I was sold kind of from the gut. And now it's become really my work and my daily approach of being aware and being a contemplative in action, and, and really being in constant communication, right? Like God is friend, that there is this God who's always, always, there for me.
1: I like how you described how you came to Ignatian spirituality as someone just coming up to you in the northwest of a church and surprising you and inviting you in. I hear that story time and time again. It's part of my own story that Ignatian spirituality is just, once it pops in your life, it never lets you go, but it's also usually a surprise. Like, I don't know what this is, but apparently God is leading me toward it, which is is so great and has such incredible fruit. Right. Coming at it from, you know, that openness and freedom, right? I just kept saying yes. And for
2: really beautiful fruit, for sure.
1: Earlier today, I was giving a retreat to a few students and I was talking to them about God's friendship, which when you're looking at being a teenager or even a young adult, or even if you haven't really been introduced to Ignatian spirituality, I think that idea of God's friendship is really challenging. But I found myself mentioning that when we accept God as our friend, we recognize that God is the God that rejoices with us, and also the God that suffers with us in a way that only a friend can. Has that been your experience in your life of God both rejoicing with you and also walking with you when Things are harder as your friend? Absolutely. I think that view has also
2: allowed me to be more open and really share my whole life with God. You know, I am a person who really values my friendships and talks a lot, right? And so in my close personal friendships, I'm talking a lot. It just makes more sense to me. That if I want to be in deep relationship with God, obviously, I you talk a lot to God, too. And so I think that deep friendship piece of Jesus really as the example, right, of how to be in relationship and how to serve his father and be present to people and be human and divine at the same time. It's just that deep feeling of just ability to not be judged to be really honest. Becky refers to it as naming the real the things that are really happening. Oftentimes, you're really tempted to just present to God the Instagram picture, right? Like, oh, here's what I'm supposed to be telling you. And here's what I'm willing to give you. And what I found is that viewing God as friend has allowed me to then share not just the hard things, or the really joyous things, but also just the everyday, Mm -hmm. the things I share with my friends of the normal things that happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think just that ability to have a friendship in the everyday, in the mundane, then opens way that obviously, I know God cares about all the little things God's going to care about. Mm-hmm. The are really big things, my big joys and my big losses, right? And everything in between.
1: Yeah, I like that you mentioned inviting God into the everyday and having conversations with God about ordinary things because then it becomes almost a practice, a habit, a way of being instead of having to be anything forced or anything that you have to try to make happen so that when the more difficult things occur... You've already established this relationship. You've already given time to it. You've already made it a part of your day. And so it's almost natural to turn to God in those challenging moments. It'd be a lot harder if you, you hadn't established that practice.
2: Right. I think, you know, the prayer of consideration and like this idea of finding God in all things and keeping open conversation throughout my day. God, did you just see that? Did that really happen? What are you telling me here? Absolutely makes it more natural for when things, when things are really hard and not only more natural, but helps me really trust that God does care about the hard things that God is there, wants to be there, because I think that's the false spirit in your ear when things are hard is you're alone. No one cares. No one wants to hear about it, which we know to be false, but is easy to believe sometimes.
1: Yeah. In the beginning, you said that it's not just God, but it's also this relationship that you have with Mary. And I feel like sometimes depending on, you know Mary wasn't written a lot about in the gospels. There's very few stories that we can grab and it's usually Mary meek and humble and quiet, except at the wedding at Cana, a little less meek and humble and qu- quiet. But do you find yourself sometimes imagining the in between moments with Mary? Because clearly she raised Jesus and so she had all the mom moments that we have. I know that's something I find myself doing, but how do you, how do you relate most to Mary? Is it in the same way? That that you relate to God where God's with you in all of those experiences and maybe even more so cuz you can imagine Mary having him
2: for me i really have always imagined mary coming alongside with me and walking me to jesus which is as ignatius says the colloquy but what i realize is that is how my mom prays and when i mm. told her it has this name she was like <laughs> 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 That's absolutely how she taught me to pray. I think for me, I have really never viewed Mary as meek per se. And again, I think that comes from my mom's example for sure. <laughs> and Mary always being called on with such fervor. But I think there is so much in the courage of Mary that has always spoken to me mm-hmm. in her ability to keep going. Like you said, we don't know. The moments we know are big things, right? The moments we know are her being spoken to by an angel and her saying yes. And even not finding Jesus in the temple. Those moments of her having to step consistently into mystery. Mm Mm-hmm. That she knows, right? Like the Mary Did You Know debate from the song. People get very, very passionate about that. But I've always felt like Mary knows in the way that we know things, but she's still continuing to step into mystery, right? I still feel like she didn't maybe know how exactly it was all going to play out, right? So I think for me, she's always been a calming presence of just strength mm-hmm. of, okay, I'm saying yes, I'm going to do this. Let's let's go.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: For me, I think that quiet strength, not all the time quiet, but like that <laughs> not so much meek, but really just, just that affirmation. She clearly knew she was not alone, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And she lived out of that.
1: Yeah, one thing I've always appreciated about Mary is that she appears in the culture and in the dress and in the skin color of whoever she's appearing to, right? So she will come to your Puerto Rican mother Mm-hmm. You know, in a way that your mom can identify with her. And mm-hmm. I think that's just so beautiful. It's like the one saint example that we have where it's just so much coming in touch with who the person is that Mary's encountering. Yeah. And then just a couple of days before our recording, we celebrate it Mother's Day. And I feel like I can imagine Mary not only appearing to everyone that is a mother, But to all the other categories that also encompass that word, both the moms that are grieving having never been able to be a mother, the moms that don't want children of their own, but mother other children and mentor other children. Becky did a wonderful job of presenting some of the prayers on her social media on Sunday for all the different types of, of mothers and all the different types of experiences. And I really can imagine Mary being in all of those experiences, right? She's not just a mom who had the son and the son that was God, but also a mom that can, can really sit in all those other experiences as well. Do you feel that from your own experience too? Yeah, definitely, you know, very
2: much like Mary queen of the universe right <laughs> like that kind of very universal feeling of mother which you're right is such a beautiful expression of Mary my friend Cameron Baum just wrote a beautiful poem that I'll have you make sure we link to about how you view Mary like whether you view Mary where you see her as Our Lady of Guadalupe whether you're viewing her in different that there's this universality of Mary just being mother with open arms that is truly beautiful but I do think especially Especially in my own journey to motherhood, and how in my own path that included loss. So, my first child, Francis, our first, died through miscarriage, and so with that loss of really feeling like I was a mom, but I am I a mom? I'm not a mom. I don't have a, a baby to show for my motherhood, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling like Mary was always someone that I could completely turn to. Because Mary really understood that complicatedness of not pregnant, pregnant, has child, watch their child die. You know, Mary has so much of that gray, right? (laughs) There's not clear black and white, that feeling that Mary has walked through a lot. She's seen some stuff. Having that really model and support of a fellow mom who has lost was incredibly, incredibly comforting to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one other thing along with Mary that has really helped a lot is kind of this whole idea of the communion of saints, Mm -hmm. that not just Mary and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, but this idea, the heavenly hosts. For me, in my view, that includes my two babies Francis and Claire who were lost to miscarriage along with all of my dear family members and friends who have gone before and Mm -hmm. all of those beautiful holy men and women in the saints who I turn to a lot I'm just a little bit of a saint nerd I love (laughs) there's a saint for that I tend to a lot through litanies. When someone needs prayer, I write people litanies and pray with a lot of the saints on a daily basis. I feel like I need that reminder that I am not alone. There's so many other beautiful saints who specifically, you know, in this loss category, who went through such hardships and such loss of their children, fighting for their children, loss of loved ones. We look at St. Catherine of Sweden, who is the patron of those who have lost children due to miscarriage. And she has that patronage, not because she had lost a child, Mm -hmm. but because her ministry was serving those who had lost and serving pregnant women, particularly women who had had complicated pregnancies and and really being present to them. I love turning to St. Catherine because she lived that accompaniment of other people, understanding that... People, especially in times of tragedy and grief, need a physical reminder of God. Mm need someone present to be there to point them to God so they truly know that they are loved and not alone in you know, their hardest moments.
1: I know that after the loss of your own two children, you have dived right in to helping other people. Can you talk a little bit about how you consider that to be a part of your ministry? Yeah, absolutely. I think after
2: the loss of Francis and Claire, I was really trying to achieve my way out of grief. Uh <laughs> and was, I was like, okay, well, what can I do now? Like, oh, I'm supposed to join a support group. Okay, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to like, all right. I'm like, well, I'll volunteer. And at the time there was a new ministry that had just been started in my Archdiocese of Atlanta called Embrace. That was the first time I had worked within grief, loss, miscarriage world related to my Catholic faith. And in being a founding board member there at Embrace, as it became all in, embrace and really volunteering in not just my professional capacity, which has been, you know, my background is in communication. So I did a lot of flyers and fundraising <laughs> things for them, but then slowly really got into the nitty gritty, really being present, being the one to take the phone calls from people who had just lost and really helping walk people through the steps of what's next, and a lot of helping people through uh, the realities of burials and options, and and for those who are expecting miscarriage, or for those who were having DNCs, you know, which is a uh, the procedure after the baby has died to uh, remove the remains. And so, I think in my process of walking with people, I realized that I'm capable of. Being in the darkness with people, Mm -hmm. that learning about myself, that I can handle that. I'm okay with a lot of tears. I'm okay with not putting a bow on it. Yeah, this is awful. There is not a silver lining of this, this is not God's plan. And so I think that that came first was realizing that, oh, I actually, um, I can do this work. Mm -hmm. And how much of a gift it has been in service to my babies, their loss, I like to say, cracked open my heart to where now there's a large increase in compassion an ability to hold that gray, the, the uncomfortable, the tragic, the things that have no good answer or real happy ending, right? And speak love and hope into that space when there's not a trite solution. There's not, mm-hmm. you know, the an answer or way out. And as you know, grief is tricky
0: mm-hmm.
2: and very annoyingly, in my opinion, is not. Linear. Like, I really thought that it was going to get easier every day. And instead, that little tricky grief is a circle, right? Like, it's much more of a roller coaster. You know, sometimes will be pretty fine and sometimes are instantly awful. It can make it really hard to feel like you're making any progress, to feel like uh, you're going to be okay, to feel like God does care, right? Because there's not an instant savior of all. Like, you know, all the grief goes away now because (laughs) we thought about it. But what I've been able to see is that being able to tell God and share with God and give God those truly hard moments, it just becomes so much easier to see God in all of those grief bursts. I mm-hmm. call them, embrace the ministry I worked with always referred to it as grief burst. Those roller coaster dip times, right—the bottom of the circle when grief sneaks up on you because it always does, right? <laughs> I feel like even if you know, like there's an anniversary or something coming, I still feel like it—it it surprises you. But that in those moments, it becomes easier to rely on God and say, "Okay, God, show me where is your hope today? Who are you putting in my path?" To lighten things up. I think, you know, the tool of the examine so greatly helped me after the loss of Francis. For a long time, I was doing it just focusing on gratitude
0: mm-hmm.
2: and where I saw God giving myself some grace to not look at my mistakes for a little while. Cause I, I couldn't look at that part with God yet. Mm hmm. And I really just needed to focus on, okay, God, I need you to show me that you're here. Yeah, I, I need to focus on where are you? <laughs> How are you working in my life? And let me just really celebrate that and be aware and be so grateful for that. And that ended up being such a beautiful healing tool for me especially looking at the specific no heartbeat day, right? Like when in my case, I was 12 weeks and three days and going in for um, a second ultrasound. So we had heard the heartbeat uh, eight weeks uh, and three days on the face of St. Francis on <laughs> October 4th. Again, I have already said that I'm a little bit of a saint nerd, but when... <laughs> I was so excited that my eight-week appointment was going to be on October 4th because at the time doing um, a lot with Catholic Earth Day and St. Francis was all over the place. And so that is a day I certainly knew. And so, you know, my husband and I heard the heartbeat and we go at the end to make the next appointment. And the woman goes, okay, four weeks from now, November 1st. Mm. (laughs) And I start laughing Mm -hmm. because November 1st is All Saints Day.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and so I was like making a joke in my head like ha 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 like I'll see you Saint Francis and I'll raise you all the saints and so (laughs) I was thrilled I was so thrilled that uh, I got to come back on All Saints Day which ended up being just such a blessing because then when I came back on All Saints Day and there was no heartbeat Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed every single one of those (laughs) saints. And so I ended up being sent home and they had me come back the next day to have the DNC, you know, to remove the remains. And when I realized that that was on the feast of all souls,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is mm-hmm. November 2nd, I had such added, such added comfort. This was a universal day where the whole Catholic church was mourning. Right. right. <laughs> and that I was part of that. And I think that, Having kind of that view of kind of the universal church and all the communion of saints and really feeling like, like I was connected to that really has helped tremendously with also feeling like my babies aren't far away and that they are safe but you know, all the things that I want for them, right, as their mother. And so I think that has just been, has been a really beautiful thing for me.
1: Yeah, I appreciate not only you talking about how you accompanied people. And I have to say we started with mothers, but I want to recognize that there are a lot of fathers that grieve uh, miscarriage and loss of their children just as much as the mothers and, and you accompany both. But I also appreciate you talking about how you help people through their grief by not trying to make it better or not trying to kind of say the old adage like, this was in God's plan or whatever it is that we normally try to spit out when someone's grieving and we don't understand it. I think we have a long tradition in many churches of trying to explain things to people in their grief in hopes that we can help them feel better. And I like in a way that where we are right now is it's even better to just sit with you in that grief and to say, you're right this sucks. I can't, I can't make it better, but I'm here to sit with you in it. And even if you haven't experienced exactly what they're going through, relying on your own experiences of grief. To help inform how you you serve them in that moment, I think is so beautiful, and I I love that it's happening, and I think it's happening in a lot of different ways within the church. More and more people helping people through grief that way without trying to erase it, and it reminds me as well. You know, when we talk about God as friend, Ignatius also really helped us see that God was with us in the suffering, mm-hmm. and that God ultimately suffered for us. And so it it's not always about God. Taking it away and it's not that God caused it or you know anything in particular. it's just that God knows because God became human and mm-hmm. suffered in extraordinary ways. God knows what it feels like. And I always imagine in those moments of grief, whether it's from the loss of a person or from an illness or from mm-hmm. any myriad of things. people grieve about all sorts of things Change in and reality. We yeah. right. And we don't always understand what someone's grieving about, but we can say, I get that you're sad. I get that that you're grieving right now and I, I can sit with you in that. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Did a um a quick push earlier for Becky's book, The Inner
2: Chapel, but there is a chapter on companion in our suffering on Jesus as our companion in suffering that is my absolute favorite chapter of the book. And mine is like earmarked. I read it all the time. <laughs> I have it all yeah. highlighted because it so spoke to me just having that. Beautiful, real lived example of Jesus who understands suffering. And we see all throughout how Jesus approaches people. Jesus comes to people as they are and is with them. You know, you were talking about the invitation of sitting with people, not trying to solve it. The tips I always say for you to think through like, how can you support someone? Does this try to solve? minimize or push through the situation. If it does any of those things, if you're trying to solve it, if you're minimizing it, which is a very common approach specifically with miscarriage grief because people will say something like, well you can always have another baby or you're young or it happens all the time, you know, it's not a big deal, right? Like that the minimizing piece or just the pushing through, right? Like the let's just not worry about that just start having another baby, just have another baby right <laughs> that pushing through, but those three things you are not doing those things, if you're not solving, minimizing, or pushing through, then what's left is really being present mm-hmm. it is not having answers and being okay with saying that mm-hmm. that I can't explain why this happened, but I can be with you in this anguish, and I can bring cookies and <laughs> I can, I can, you know, um, drop tea at your door. Oh, my current favorite go-to is potato chip uh, chocolate bars. Have you seen these? No, that they're sounds fantastic. Fancy <laughs> chocolate bars with potato chips in them that I nice. like, like putting in people's mailboxes or on their door when yeah. they're having a hard time. That you know, if there's that way to accompany people. You know, I'm not solving anything with a candy bar, but I am lending some presents right? Like some idea that like, you are not alone. I see you in this. And I know it's hard.
1: Yeah, my favorite line in the Gospels, the shortest line is Jesus wept. And when I look at that, and you know, I try to look at it new every time I look at at this example, but you know, Jesus comes, his friend has died. And before he does anything before he tries to heal Lazarus before he tries to comfort anyone. He simply just stands there and cries with his friends and he understands that moment of grief. And so if, if that was Jesus's response that Jesus wasn't trying to solve it, wasn't trying to minimize it and say, hey, you know, I'll be in heaven in a little bit and he'll be up there with me and it'll be fine. And he wasn't trying to have them push through their grief and get on to like, hey, there's more important things coming up in the next couple weeks and we really need to not be thinking about this right now. But instead, he's just sitting there and, and crying with his friends. And I try to remember that when I'm grieving, when I'm upset, or when I'm sick, or whatever it is that that like Jesus is actually there experiencing all of it with me. And that's actually better than the younger version of me that would be like, why aren't you just solving this right now? Right? But Mm -hmm. in some ways, it's better just to have someone with you in that moment when you know, it can't be solved. Absolutely,
2: because that's real, right? You know, it's not magic. I feel you on like that idea of oftentimes, like, wouldn't it be great if this could just go away, right? Like, (laughs) cup away, just like, um, solve this, right? Give me the answer. And that really just takes away so much opportunity to be loved and to
1: love others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you say cup away, it reminds me that like Jesus even asked, can you solve this for me? and But that's not that was not God's intention. And that's because now we have this profound example of someone who suffers with us that we can always go back to and understand that reality that God really experienced everything it was to be human.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: And I don't know if you have an answer for this or not, but I've been asking people if there's anything that you find difficult or challenging about helping people or yourself understand their belovedness in today's time with everything that's happened over the last four years, lots of things that are happening now. Is it? Is there anything that you find challenging about just helping people f- understand that they're loved as they are? And then what do you do to combat that? I mean, what's so challenging
2: for me so often is comparison, right? With social media and with all of the access we have to other people and things around us that it is for me very easy to feel that I am not enough because I am not by nature a clean person. Um, I am not (laughs) an organized person. I am right like a a little too big picture. I'm looking uh, at the whole forest and I'm hitting every tree along the way. So, you know, for me, a lot of what has been so hard, especially during COVID was that we then turned so much to the internet and to really, for me, my own imagination of what I should be and should be doing, should be living, should be acting, how I should be a mom, and really struggling with specifically that feeling of enoughness Mm -hmm. that I'm loved, but maybe not fully, or maybe I need to do more in order to to earn it. The word for me in my head is always enough. Mm-hmm. And It's really difficult. And I think the way that for me that I've combated that is through being grounded in what is reality of being reminded Mm -hmm. by the people who I love that are around me of my gifts of my specific calls and what's been given to me that is mine and my own giftedness that keeps me focused on that I'm not comparing myself to someone else that I am uniquely loved fully by God for who I am and who Mm -hmm. I am made to be. Mm -hmm. And that really helps me a lot to combat that feeling of of just comparison and not -hmm. not being enough.
1: Yeah, I remember those days early with kids. We all had kids at home. And Ah. just looking on Instagram and seeing, oh, there's workout plans for your kids. Or, wow, you've sewed clothes or masks or whatever. And I tried and failed at that. And oh, you know, you've gotten your homework done in an hour with the kids, and then you're out playing. And I am just learning that my son has learning differences in this moment. And it's taking us seven hours to do a one hour assignment. And in the end, I'm doing it for him because he can't do it. That comparison was real. And it it made everything a lot, a lot rougher during that time. But I think, I think that's when I started really diving into this. What does it mean to be, to show up messy and perfect and human and allow others to do the same because we are loved as we are. We're supposed to try and be good people, but that maybe doesn't mean that our house has to be perfectly clean or, you know, our kids, you know, doing all the right things all the time. It's, it's just kind of, yeah, a balance.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think it's really that finding God in all things has to include in the messiness and in the unscripted and in the things that are terrible, right? I mean, let's be honest, those beginning days of COVID were terrible. I mean, there's not like a whole, you know, terrible. And part of that was really that it was much easier to feel like you were alone and Like you weren't doing what you were supposed to be or something, right? Like because we were just more separate from people. And so I think that interior depth of knowing that I am not alone really was deepened and challenged during that time because it was so easy to feel alone and like clearly you must not have been doing this right
0: Mm -hmm.
2: because it wasn't easy
1: when it was easy for no one. Yeah. Because it was just hard, some things yes. are just hard, yeah, yeah, and even though we're you know a few years past that, I think we're still dealing with the the trauma, the experience, the um the emotions of that time, and grief, really, yeah, and the grief, right, yeah, and it's grief that we don't always realize we have, you know, yeah. it's grief that's in us deep within us, and when something mm-hmm. else happens and we have a reaction that doesn't quite match what's happening then we think, oh, maybe I haven't really figured out how to deal with all this stuff that's happened because we kind of jump back into life and I haven't figured out how to, as Ignatius would say, to reflect over it, to figure out what were the graces, but also to figure out what are the things that, Still need to be explored. Still need to be brought to prayer. Still need to to be be honest about it, right? To bring it to
2: God. I mean, it's so easy. Anytime something is hard, to just push on yourself, right? Like even that was advice to how you sit with someone else. But it's definitely a huge temptation that to you know to be like, well, I'm not going to give this to God because I just want it to not be there. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen, and we're just going (laughs) to keep going on. And that tends to work for some length of time until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then when it doesn't, it's usually
1: not good. Yeah. The reaction is so much bigger (laughs) because you didn't know what you were hiding. Right. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. I know that people can find you in a couple different places and can find Becky's work as well. Would you like to tell people where they can find you and, and the work of BeckyEldridge.com, eventually Ignatian Ministries. Definitely BeckyEldridge.com
2: and on Facebook and Instagram, Becky Eldridge. I personally am also on um, Instagram as KathyP987 is my handle. Very soon we are in the process of building out IgnatianMinistries.com, so that will be coming very, very soon. But the easiest way is to get on the Becky's email list, either through the links on social media or through the website. And then you'll always be connected. And the glorious thing also about getting on the email list is that they can then read Into the Deep, which is our blog that goes out every Monday and features such glorious voices like yourself.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful blog to follow. And the only way to get it in your inbox is to subscribe to have that email come through or also to follow Becky on social media, Facebook, Instagram. So again, thank you, Kathy, so much. It was a great conversation. And I hope we can have another conversation in the future. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Gretchen. I enjoyed my conversation with Kathy as much as I did. I loved how she shared so openly about her experience losing Francis and Claire and how her own grief taught her to show up with potato chip chocolate bars and a listening ear, trying not to minimize, advise, or speed past the here and now. I also appreciate all the work she is doing alongside Becky Eldridge and the rest of the team to start Ignatian Ministries. This is going to be a phenomenal addition to the Ignatian spirituality spaces. Information on how to follow Kathy Powell and her work with Becky Eldridge can be found in the show notes. These conversations are bringing me such light, and I can't wait to share even more of them with you. I think you'll notice that I'm trying to get a variety of perspectives and experiences on this podcast, including both Catholic and non-Catholic, Ignatian and other forms of spiritual practice as well. If you think you or someone you know has a story to share on this podcast, please email me at lovedasyouarepod at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, subscribe and leave a review. I'd love to have your feedback and be able to continue to move this podcast in a direction that is valuable for you. You can also follow everything related to this podcast at lovedasyouarepod on Instagram and at gretchencrowder.com slash lovedasyouarepodcast. Links to both are in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today, and until next time, remember to be who you are, because that's exactly who God wants you to be.